0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're reporting again from our remote locations in Northern California. Unfortunately for people in Northern California, the fires continue to be, although better contained, still raging Air quality in many parts of Northern California continue to be a problem. And uh, regarding the pandemic, some slight uh, relaxation of some things, but it's still pretty much on uh, soft lockdown, as I like to say. Other than that, we have a great show today, Jamal. We have a lot that we're going to talk about. We have a great interview with Dawood Katab, and we're going to be talking about a lot of issues, especially what's happening with the UAE and the uh, so-called, how should we say, warming of relations with uh, the government of Israel. We're going to talk about how Jared Kushner is pushing other Arab governments. And I don't know, Jamal, some crazy things that Joy Reid said. It's kind of weird.
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, We're going to be talking about several stories, also including Laura Trump, which recently uh, joined uh, the uh, campaign of an Islamophobe. Her name is Laura Loomer. We'll talk about that, but uh, first uh, let's watch and listen to the Hud kuttab. He's going to be talking about a very important story that happened last week in reaction to the uh, UAE-Israel uh, so-called peace deal. Um, a cartoonist, a very famous cartoonist in Jordan. His name is Imad Hajjaj. One of the world, one of the Arab Words, best known and most beloved cartoonist. He was arrested. He was only released after an international outcry, which included an article by uh, Dahoud Kutab. So he talks about his article, what happened. He also, of course, talks about the reaction in Jordan and the rest of the Arab world to the UAE normalization, uh, normalizing relations uh, with Israel. Uh, let's watch and listen. A week ago, the Jordanian police arrested Imad Hajjaj, one of the Arab world's best known and most beloved cartoonists. He was released only after an international outcry, which included an article in the Washington Post by our guest, Dahoud Kutab. Dahoud Kutab is a Palestinian journalist, former Ferris professor of journalism at Princeton University, and is currently Director General of Community Media Network, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to advancing independent media in the Arab region. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Dawood.
2: Thank you, Janet, for having me.
1: An excellent uh, and timely article, I would say, in the Washington Post. Congratulations. Uh, Your article in the Washington Post entitled, Jordan Claims It Cares About Freedom of Speech... It just threw a political cartoonist in jail. For our listeners and viewers uh, who are not uh, familiar with the story and the arrest of Ahmad Hajjaj, uh, please describe uh, what happened to him.
2: Well, I think I need to give your uh, audience a little background. As you know, a few weeks ago, the Israelis and the Americans signed um, an unusual agreement, what we call normalization, with the United Arab Emirates. Uh, United Arab Emirates, basically broke the rank with Arab countries and made a separate agreement with Israel, even though they were signed on to uh, the Arab Peace Plan, which said that normalization should follow the Israeli end of occupation and not before that. Anyways, um, Imel Hajjaj made a a cartoon in a London-based publication in which he showed uh, the... um, Emir or the, the crown prince of Emirates uh, holding um, the Israeli flag in the shape of a dove and the dove basically spitting in his face. And the spit <laughs> is the F-35 airplanes that the Emirates were hoping to buy that the Israelis uh, basically and the Americans have basically blocked because uh, Mr. Netanyahu doesn't want anybody to have any edge or to kind of break down the Israeli military edge in the Middle East. And so he did the cartoon, and then he found himself arrested and put in jail in, Israel, in the Jordanian capital, or in the city of Salt. Uh, yesterday he was released.
1: You wrote uh, in the article that uh, Jordan's King Abdullah has publicly rejected punishing journalists uh, for expressing their views and has said that he wants the sky to be the limit for press freedom, and yet, uh, as Hajaz arrest demonstrates, the country's existing laws all too often contradict that admirable goal. Why are not uh, government officials not uh, following their own king's uh, lead, really?
2: Well, this is a double standard, uh, Jamal. uh, Many countries and their leaders often speak uh, in a very um, positive way to Western audiences, But back at home, they they follow different orders. In this case, um, there's a very unusual law that exists in Arab countries, which um, forbids and criminalizes anybody who um, hurts the relationship of of other countries, friendly countries. And so uh, the Arabic, they call that messing up the uh, the good relations. And uh, while a journalist should have the freedom to express themselves, and they don't represent the country. In this case, um, something preceded the the cartoon that I think made things worse. The the half-brother of King Abdullah, Prince Ali, uh, whose sister is divorced from the uh, ruler of Dubai and is a very nasty divorce, um, basically tweeted uh, one of the articles that had a nasty picture of the prince. And so the Emirates were very upset with Jordan and their prince. But then, you know, obviously the king is not going to arrest his, his stepbrother. So the cartoon then came, and I think our friend Ahmed Hajjaj became the um, uh, scapegoat in this, uh, this, uh, this basically small problem between two Arab countries.
1: What I liked about your article is you, don't, uh, give the United, you didn't give the United States a pass, especially under the Trump era. Because you wrote uh, the fact that a U.S. president refers to journalists as enemies of the people has not gone unnoticed in these countries, and which is really the reality. I mean, this is how uh, I would say, for the very first time in a long time, uh, American journalists they feel intimidated by the administration. You, you see the you, the entire world probably saw the exchanges that happen in in the White House, and and so it's not you know, something that, you know, you're, that just happens in third world countries, but in the United States, journalists under threat.
2: Well, I think this empowered uh, uh, leaders, and I would say um, autocratic leaders in many countries in the third world who, um, you know, were under pressure often from the Western world on issues of human rights and democracy and press freedom, and in this case... Um, countries like Jordan and other countries are not as worried about somebody from Washington calling them up on this issue because, you know, uh, the U.S. is uh, failed, or the Trump administration has failed in living up to the First Amendment, uh, which was looked up uh, for a long time by many people around the world. And so I think that gave uh, autocratic leaders further room to, uh, you know, to violate uh, the, the rights of journalists without having to worry about uh, paying a price for it politically.
1: Now, you yourself, I mean, as a journalist, I mean, you've been arrested. I know before you've been stopped at airports. And uh, you've been an advocate, really, for uh, journalist rights, uh, not only in the Middle East, but across uh, the globe. Uh, What's going on? I mean, you you also say Jordan is really, uh, it's not... The worst, if we compared it to Egypt and other countries.
2: So, yeah, what's in, what's the whole
1: kind of? plenty uh, of
2: friends in Egypt uh, who are in jail without any cause. In fact, I was banned from entering to Egypt a uh, few months ago, and we know what happened to our Saudi friend Jamal Shukji who paid his his life for for his for journalism. So, it's it's not an easy uh, profession in this part of the world. And it is getting difficult. We were under a lot of pressure uh, during the pandemic because as you can imagine, um, governments become much more controlled and the security apparatus becomes much more controlled when there is a pandemic. And so uh, issues of human rights are thrown out of the window often. So yes, you have to fight. I mean, I try to be as professional as I can, even though I was critical of Jordan, I tried to put it in context of the Middle East and Jordan, you know, has its ups and downs in this issue, but I didn't want people to come away thinking that it's the worst. No, there are much worse countries, but still, uh, we are holding the country up to the standards that its own leaders have set with what the king has said and so on, and that's what my article tried to say.
1: So now, uh, going to this big story, I mean, uh, today they're making a big uh, uh, event out of the Uh, landing of um, the uh, plane carrying uh, the flight uh, from Tel Aviv to uh, the UAE, carrying American and Israeli uh, officials there. And a couple of weeks ago, I think we spoke on this show to Diana Butoh. She described the level of disappointment and and pretty much uh, uh, called it a stab in the back uh, for Palestinians. What's happening in in Jordan and other Arab countries? I mean, are people just being spectators uh, uh, or, I mean, how how they're looking at it, really?
2: Well, I think you have two problems happening at this time in the entire Arab world. Arab unity is facing its probably worst uh, stage yet. I mean, uh, countries are fighting against each other. There's different axes of power. Somebody argued uh, today that uh, Saudi Arabia gave permission to Israel to fly over its airspace, but Qatar is not allowed to fly over Saudi airspace. So there's internal problems in the Arab countries. Uh, The Palestinian cause has ceased to be, or to some Arab countries, the leading uh, cause uh, for that. United Arab countries behind it. So there are problems that uh, we're facing, and I think to a certain degree, it's causing many countries to depend on themselves and to their own people. And the Palestinian um, aspect, I think this is uh, forcing Palestinians to rethink uh, the Mahmoud Abbas uh, ideology of depending on the UN and the international community in the Arab world to bring about end of occupation. And I think people want to have um, a revisit to that methodology and I think there needs to be some kind of elections to allow Palestinians to decide what kind of state they want, how do they want to get there, and who do they want to lead the Palestinians in the next uh, period. So we have, uh, you know, we have to really return to the source of power, which is the people, whether it's in Palestine or other countries, and, and see what they think.
1: Well, I mean, you're talking about that, about the source of power, but what about, um, you know, I mean, do you think this move, I mean, we know it weakens the position of the Palestinians, is it getting uh, popular support from other Arab countries because Israel keeps flouting that Bahrain is going to be next or Oman is going to be next, and maybe even Saudi Arabia is going to be next. I mean, is this uh, boycott, uh, is is this going to break the boycott, really?
2: I don't think so. In fact, I've tweeted uh, that um, no other country is going to, in the near future, at least until after the U.S. election, will follow the UAE suit for the following reasons. First, uh, Israel has not been nice to the uh, Emirates. They basically uh, uh, stabbed the Emirates themselves or spit in their face, as uh, Ahmad Hajjad would say. And uh, there has been a strong backlash In Palestine and many Arab countries, there's cultural boycotts being called for the Emirates. So um, the cost of normalizing uh, with Israel is very high and the benefit doesn't seem to be very uh, equally high. So I think most countries uh, will not do it unless they really have to. And we saw even Sudan stood up to Pompeii and told him no, you know, in a very clear way. And the same with Bahrain. So I think unless uh, Trump is reelected, I don't think you'll see many more countries in the short term uh, following suit of uh, UAE.
1: Actually, this was a perfect segue to the elections, because I'd like to know uh, how uh, Arabs in the Middle East, in Jordan, Palestine, and other countries are viewing these elections, especially uh, the, um, the RNC. Recently, you mentioned Pompeo. Pompeii, which was unprecedented for him to be really um, appearing in a convention or unprecedented for a Secretary of State and not only do it uh, from the United States, but he was doing it from the top of the King David's Hotel in, in Jerusalem. I mean, what message does this send to Arabs in the region?
2: Well, it depends. If you're Mohammed bin Zayed or Mohammed bin Salman, I think you want Trump to be reelected, many others and most people don't want Trump to be elected because they saw the havoc he caused to Palestinians and to Arab countries and in many, many parts of the world and the way he is basically siding with dictators in our region, whether it's his favorite dictator, Sisi, or other dictators. And so I think, you know, it's a split between people and regimes, between those who are liberal and democratic in their points of view and those who are autocratic and conservative and, and they, want to, they want America to basically give them a, a blank check to do what they want. Uh, let's, hope, let's hope that uh, Americans see the sense in in not giving this crazy guy another four years and let's hope that there will be a, a more sane foreign policy that uh, does not stand with dictators and, and oppresses indigenous people who are fighting for their own freedom, whether it is indigenous Americans, black Americans, or immigrants, or in, in the rest of the world, people like Palestinians and others who are fighting to end uh, occupation and annexation and colonization.
1: I mean, do, do, you, do you actually feel, or do Arabs in general actually feel that a Biden administration will make a difference? It will be you know when it comes to the middle east it's going to be it's going to take different positions or in the case of palestinians it's going to uh, reverse the decision on having the us embassy move to jerusalem
2: no i don't think i think most people understand that also biden is 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 pro-israeli but he's not crazy pro-israeli so that's and they're hoping that there will be some sanity in 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 the in the white house where you don't uh, stop funding hospitals that were providing badly needed cancer care to children from Gaza or when you stop uh, uh, countries from cooperating with with the Palestinian Authority to, you know, to uh, basically manage itself and so on and so forth. So, um, no, people are not, I think nobody's naive to think that uh, Biden is going to be uh, the liberator. They had too much hope in Obama, uh, who Biden worked with, and and that has basically filtered out. And so people are not uh, expecting much from Biden in the positive sense. They're just hoping that the craziness will stop.
1: Well, on that thought, I want to thank you again, uh, Dahoud, and uh, hope to talk to you uh, very soon.
2: Thank you, Jamal. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that's the voice and the uh, face of Daoud Kutab, a journalist, actually one of the most, you know, uh, foremost journalists in the Arab world and uh, based in Jordan. And um, doesn't paint as rosy a picture of the peace relations or the warming of relations and the peace agreement between UAE and the Israelis, Jamal.
1: Absolutely not. And uh, he he talked about, of course, uh, about the arrest of the uh, cartoonist, but since then, almost every single day, I see a new cartoon popping up uh, talking about the so-called normalization and uh, making poking fun about it. And of course, a lot of uh, criticism in Arab media in general uh, including, actually, uh, uh, like some Gulf states like Kuwait. Kuwait has been very, very critical and outspoken, uh, and, of course, Qatar. And then even in, in the Saudi press, uh, so uh, the Trump uh, slash Netanyahu slash Kushner, whatever coalition, they're trying to put this major rosy uh, picture that uh, they're going to have other, other Arab countries co- uh, joining in. But it doesn't seem that's going to happen anytime soon. Now, uh, just a couple of hours ago, Jess, I uh, watched a speech by yes. uh, Mahmoud, Mahmoud Abbas. Abbas. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. What did he say? Yeah, so that was a long speech, kind of slow going, uh, very typical of Mahmoud Abbas <laughs> going th- uh, through all the items. But few highlights in it. He said that... Uh, That no one on earth has the right to speak on behalf of Palestinians. Uh, He was saying that the PLO is the only representative, or uh, it is the umbrella uh, organization for all Palestinian organizations and Palestinians in the homeland and the diaspora. Uh, In his speech, he added um, that. He called the agreement, the UAE-Israel agreement, as a poisonous dagger. That's what he he said. It's a poisonous dagger in the back of Palestinians. And he reiterated that there will never be a state in Gaza, a Palestinian state in Gaza, nor a state without Gaza. Because, you know... Now also there are rumors that you know they're rehashing or uh, right. the argument that oh there can there can be a Palestinian state in Gaza and then forget about the West Bank. So he's, he's reiterating that that's not going to happen. A lot of criticism he lays it out. Uh, but nothing I surprising. A, but I
0: have a question for you, Jamal. Does anybody on the world stage really care anymore about what? Abu Mazen Mahmoud Abbas is saying these days, what credibility, I mean, this is part of a larger picture question that I want to ask you. The, the address for the Palestinian people seems to have been um, either misplaced or lost right now. I, I mean, my impression, correct me if I'm wrong, does it seem like the voice of Abu Mazen is carrying much weight within the international community, let alone the Arab world? Am I missing something? Well, uh, I mean, we can take
1: it further uh, down the road and or actually go backward and think about Oslo. Mahmoud Abbas is considered as one of the architects of Oslo, if not the architect of Oslo. So all roads lead to there. So when you see uh, criticism, whether from Palestinians or others uh, criticizing all the mistakes that has been made, just even by agreeing to all the terms in Oslo, they think of Mahmoud Abbas. So they say, okay, uh, now you are very critical, you fought very hard, he was very adamant about many things, including uh, security coordination with Israel. He once called security coordination with Israel as sacred when he was getting criticized when when the Israeli uh, occupation was violating these security agreements, invading uh, Ramallah, going to Palestinian territories, uh, extrajudicially assassinating uh, people there, conducting raids, arrests. And they were saying, why why are you continuing to have these security uh, agreements with them? And he... Specifically, he said, well, you know, we've signed agreements. He he wanted to show that, you know, we're standing by our agreements. The security co- coordination with Israel is sacred. This is something non-negotiable. So he was adamant right. till just a few months ago. Right. Adamant about continuing that relationship. And every time... Something happened. Netanyahu basically stabbed him in the back. So talking about stabbing in the back or reneging on security a- a- agreements, Netanyahu's government, I would say, more than others. It, you know, I'm not absolving the other governments, but every single time they reneged on agreements, they did not fulfill their obligations. They did not withdraw from Area C, which is the largest swath of land. They continued to allow settlers to move in illegally in violation of the 4th Geneva Convention. They continued funding settlements. And Mahmoud Abbas, and that's the criticism I think that Mahmoud Abbas faces the most, is that he basically continued, instead of walking away from that table, after he found out quickly that the Israelis are not... Uh, adhering to you know the agreement or or the or the clauses uh, in Oslo, after finding out that even under if we go back to Obama, he was not uh, forcing the Israelis to adhere to these agreements. He was critical, especially towards the end, and and with right. Secretary Kerry, I remember Secretary Kerry criticizing personally criticizing Netanyahu, but it was too late. It was too late. And then, when Mahmoud Abbas met with uh, um, Donald Trump, he said, "This guy is a great guy. He's going to bring peace to the Middle East." If you remember that, I mean, I mean, the thing is, uh, I wish people have a longer term memory, or they don't, or, or maybe they just pretend they don't remember. But but he, when Donald Trump, Trump, you know, he met with him and said, "Oh, this this he will be able." to bring peace to the Middle East. And he drank the Kool-Aid that was given to him by Donald Trump and Jared Kushner. And by the time he found out about it, it was too late. And that is really the crux of the issue. The crux of the issue is sadly Mahmoud Abbas has been two and three steps behind on taking any sort of action. And when he takes actions like you asked me about today, okay, so now you criticize. He's, by the way, saying he's going to the Arab League. This is laughable. Well, the that's Arab a joke. The Arab League yeah, is, it's a joke. is useless, is, 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 is more useless than the UN. I mean, I mean he's been to the UN. He, he's spoken from the UN. He's spoken from the United Nations Security Council and reminded them about the resolutions that Israel has been, um, you know, basically breaking all the time. Nothing happened. So do you think something is going to happen at the Arab League?
0: No, nothing's going to happen. And I, I just don't think that Abu Mazen has any political equity left in the bank. He's overdrawn his political equity from the 1990s with the Oslo Agreement and has been spending it and is in debt and is perceived by a lot of people in the Arab world on the street as, as kind of um, caving in to Israeli demands to be the, you know, kind of police force for the Israeli military in the West Bank and previously in Gaza. So I don't think he has a lot of credibility and he can make these great statements, but they're really falling on deaf ears right now. Nobody really is going to, you know, give much credibility. I mean, the words sound okay, but so what? we haven't had an election in palestine in how many years now jamal uh the economic situation for palestinians whether it's the west bank gaza or in 1948 is not very good right now um what what has abu mazin and the palestinian authority done for palestinians let alone palestinians in the diaspora or the refugee you know the you know the the huge refugee uh population outside of palestine so you know, it's it's like you said, it's too little, too late. Now, talking about the UAE, the fact that I just want to kind of point out that it is kind of interesting that Saudi Arabia, because Saudi Arabia had this, and, and uh, the crown prince has had this love affair with Donald Trump and with Gerald Kushner, kind of interesting that we have not by the silence and what we have heard on the Saudi press is kind of interesting with the UAE and the Israeli warming of relations. My hunch is, and I could be wrong, Jamal, is that they're making the calculation that Donald Trump may not get reelected. So trying to push this normalization under the Trump regime uh, may not be in the political best interests of the rest of the region, even though they may want to, even though they may want to have warming relations lots of complex reasons with the uh, Israeli government, uh, the timing may not be right to kind of fully come out of the closet with that. What do you think?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. And actually, what the uh, what basically and actually this applies to both Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. And this is what they have been dying to do. Right. What what they've been dying to do now before, of course, the November uh, 3rd elections, uh, especially for Donald Trump is to bring and, 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 and that's why you see this shuttle diplomacy Pompeo in the region Kushner's flying also there and and back and forth. They want to have the ceremony signed uh, just like Camp David at right. the White House. Right. right at the at the White House the Rose Garden or or whatever outside and put the show of having they've invited Saudi Arabia, they've invited Egypt they invited what they call arab countries uh, allies like uh, egypt or so arabia some gulf countries and so far as far as i know there has no has has not been any rsvps well of course for this ceremony you- so that's why you haven't seen the announcement they're dying to have it asap either september october before the elections and and make a big spectacle
0: out it, of it, a big it's, show. It's not going to happen. I mean, we set, don't know. I mean,
1: it might. You know, I guess it, it might. In this it atmosphere, uh, just with all the arm twisting and pressure and whatever, something might happen. But so far, as of today, I mean, this is one of the number one items on the Trump campaign's agenda is to have that signing ceremony happen at the White House. Well, in let, me, let
0: me ask you about two other uh, leaders, Jamal, who have peace agreements with the Israelis. Uh, I haven't heard much from King Abdullah, and I haven't heard much from President El sisi um, What are you hearing in the Arab press about uh, the king and the president? Well, uh, King Abdullah, it's a, it's, it's a complex
1: scenario. And this is uh, kind of they keeping it today under wraps. And again, if you know the region very well and, 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 and keep up with the news, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the sister of uh, King Abdullah was married to the emir. Right. And she's basically, she ran away first right. to London. Right. She she's uh, She's basically... Uh, she ran away from the palace. There was right. a, and sued him. There was a lawsuit. So, so just on a, a on a uh, personal level, there is no love lost between uh, the Hashemite, I would say, say the Hashemite family in Jordan with the UAE because of this incident. This is this is a personal in- incident. So their relationships the the relationship between the uae and and jordan is i would say very cold at this point it's not they don't have severed relations but because of this and this is like a a family aff- affair kind right. of like a, a divorce case this is a the beloved uh, sister uh of the of the of the king and she was um basically uh you know Mistreated, from what I read, right. it was a bitter lawsuit. Right. And, uh, you just have to Google that, and you'll find the details about the lawsuit in London, where, where she took she took up residence there. And then, uh, then the other thing is, there was a tweet by King Abdullah's brother or half brother, the Crown Prince. The Crown uh, no, uh, the Crown Prince is his son. No, so this is just one
0: of the princes.
1: Well, this is uh, his brother, uh, uh, you know, his half brother, who basically was critical of the UAE and was critical of the uh, the normalization with Israel, and and that also had a lot of play. So uh, in the media, so I can tell you, I don't know about Jordan's position. But Jordan's position, and they're trying to keep the peace and and not kind of break relations. There is a personal level issue. And then also, of course, Jordan is the home of uh, a large population of Palestinians or Jordanians with origins from uh, Palestine. And they are definitely not too happy. And I can see this, I can read it in, in the Jordanian press, except they don't want to kind of uh, bring it down, like let's sure. say to the streets. but and listen. That's why, uh, but that's but, why they kind of put the sure. uh, the cartoonists in jail because they don't want someone sure. to rock the boat even further.
0: Sure, but King Abdullah is a smart guy. Uh, Al Sisi is a political calculator that's very shrewd. They see the potential writing on the wall of hitching their wagons to the Trump administration and to Jared Kushner right now. So from a political standpoint, it makes sense for both of them, even though they have the so-called, you know, cool or cold peace with the Israelis, to just kind of lay low right now and see what happens with the upcoming election, not to make any crazy statements. And I think the same goes for the rest of the Arab world, who may or may not want to have warming economic relations with uh, with the Israelis. Not much, probably. Thinking through the calculations about what may or may not happen with another Trump uh, election um, is probably what's going on. Now, having said that, if Trump gets reelected, you can expect, Jamal, that the number of Arab countries lining up to warm relations with the Israelis will explode dramatically. So, you know... Uh, Whether or not that would happen under a Biden administration, you know, it's it's you know, you could make an argument either way. But if Trump gets elected for another four years, Jamal, expect the entirety of the Arab world, almost without exception, with maybe a few exceptions, will be lining up to send planes back and forth to Tel Aviv and warming relations with the Israelis. There will be put it this way, Jamal. People will be standing in line ready to throw the Palestinians under the bus if Trump gets reelected.
1: Maybe, yes. I mean, I don't see it with the population, but governments Governments. are, uh, it's a whole different ballgame. You've asked me earlier about Sisi. Yeah. And Sisi has a very strong relations with uh, Donald Trump and the Trump administration. Right. And I say, and and I give you an example just recently because they have a major dispute over the Nile River water with Ethiopia. Right. Messing around with the flow of the water, which actually Egypt made specific threats. Right. That, uh, you know, they keep doing that, building dams and diverting uh, the flow of the water that's going to you know, create a, probably a war between the two. The United States uh, reacting to this has recently suspended $100 million in USA to Ethiopia. So the United States is taking the side of Egypt. So uh, the Egyptians might feel, the Egyptian government, I should say, might feel obligated, and especially since they are the first country to sign a peace agreement. It really puts, actually it puts Jordan and and, and Egypt both in a pickle because, uh, you know, of of what happened. But then you have to compare apples with apples. Jordan and Egypt both have had hostilities between them and Israel. They share borders. And so so that's a whole different game than than bringing the UAE, which has never been (laughs) confronted by Israel, had any issues with Israel, to kind of, uh, you know, throw the Palestinians, as you said, under the bus, to receive approval to purchase some F-35s. And and this actually might might not happen. It may not happen. Uh, It may not happen. And to have a flight, an El Al flight uh, from... Uh, to fly from Tel Aviv to the UAE, uh, so some Israelis can come do some shopping in the Abu Dhabi Mall and the Dubai Mall. Or uh, recently, they're making a big uh, hoopla in the uh, Israeli media about the first kosher restaurant opening up in Abu Dhabi. So it, it, it's like the 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 added benefits to the UAE is going to be are going to be very insignificant. And it's more like just for show, as far as what I have been seeing well, and reading, and that's unless, what pr- unless frustrates
0: yeah everyone in, I, unless. But as I said, I think if Trump does get reelected, and again, just to put it out there for all of our Arab Talk listeners and viewers, I'm on record saying that it's still a real possibility that Donald Trump could get reelected. But if he does get reelected, you're going to see a real significant kind of increase in diplomatic things going on between Trump, Kushner, and the rest of the Arab world. And I wouldn't be surprised if those F-35s, if Trump gets re-elected, that I, I would be, I won't be surprised if that kind of uh, gets through the Congress. By the way, the UAE, you know, I've said this, you know, they're involved in so many dirty deals they've had. Um, intelligence collaborations with the Israelis for years and years and years. They continue to play such a dirty role in the massacre and catastrophe that's going on in Yemen right now. They have all sorts of crazy intelligence uh, agreements with the United States. This is, this is a pretty uh, depraved, um, you know, the, the Emiratis are pretty depraved when it comes to the dirty deals that they're doing uh, below the surface, Jamal.
1: Well, we're going to keep talking about this. Uh, it will be interesting to see right. if they'll participate in Trump's parade uh, before the elections. Uh, I mean, Arab we'll countries. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, as they've been used now for Israeli Hasbara. Uh, so uh, congratulations to the UAE for uh, being now used uh, in, in the Israeli Hasbara, which I uh, see it, read it, watch it every single day. So we're monitoring a couple of other stories. Right. Uh, it just, which is like all of a sudden, you know, with every show we talk about, uh, or almost every show, there is an incident uh, uh, about, of Islamophobia. We've had several guests talk about Islamophobia, um, you know, in the United States. And uh, this uh, week was very interesting because we have two stories. One is uh, the Trump's, uh, I guess, daughter in law, Lara Trump. Uh, she recently joined uh, this uh, Islamophobe. She's actually she's committed. A self, she's a self-described. She's pri- proud. Self, self-identified. She is. Yeah. She, An Islamophobe. Yeah. Her name is Laura Loomer. And, of course, uh, President Trump's daughter-in-law. And she's also, by the way, she's also a campaign advisor. She, so she's uh, running around, you know, w- uh, with her in Florida, you know, campaigning with her, and 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 this uh, Laura Loomer is very terrible. I mean, I mean, just even Trump later on, after he actually sent her congratulations for winning the nomination, the GOP no, no, uh, nomination, started to walk it back. Said, oh, uh, he didn't know everything about her, but basically, I mean, just to give you some idea. Aside her. uh, describing herself as a proud Islamophobe. That's what she calls herself. In 2017, she tweeted, how many more people need to die before everyone agrees that Islam is cancer and we should never let another Muslim into the civilized world, okay? Yeah. Uh, Then, in 2018, uh, she was dropped from Twitter from Instagram. Even Uber won't pick her up, Lyft right. won't pick her up, okay, uh, Facebook, uh, she was uh, hounding and harassing uh, both, uh, mostly uh, Representative Ilhan Omar, Right. okay, uh, harassing her and posting things on Instagram and Facebook, which, by the way, they were removed in May 2019, harassing her and telling her that she has to do redo her swear in on the Bible, not on the Quran. She's a kook, but imagine, she is like a certified kook, a bigot, an Islamophobe, and she is now the GOP nominee, in, and she's challenging, by, by, by the way, the, uh, the, uh, the represent, representative uh, Lois Frankel He's the, demo, uh, the Democrat from Yeah, but it's, a solidly,
0: it's a solidly democratic uh, population. The chances of her winning are not that great. I mean, it's possible. But you're right, Jamal, the larger issue is that the GOP hitched its wagon to a self-described, self-identified uh, person who spews hate every single day against Muslims all over the world, whether they're in the United States or anywhere else. I've watched some of the um, video clips and some of the speeches that she's given Jamal, and she's been condemned roundly by, you know, as many people as, you know, can who comment on this. But yet in the in in Florida in a Republican, not a Republican dominated area, but in Trump country, you know, she's uh, she's going to be the candidate. Um, We shall see. Right. But. You know, this has been kind of a crazy week for lots of crazy things being said about Islam, Jamal. And I have to tell you, I have watched Joy Reid and her comments multiple times now. I personally was shocked by the comparison that Joy Reid, who likes to fancy herself as a—not just liberal Jamal, but as a progressive— she, she made some pretty uh, Islamophobic comparisons about uh, uh, on her TV show, on her new, new TV show. And what's interesting, Jamal, she st- and Representative Ilhan Omar asked her to apologize. She has refused to apologize for her really blatantly Islamophobic comment. They're trying
1: to wiggle their way uh, out and trying to kind of gloss it over. But uh, you're absolutely right. Of course, uh, uh, she's on MSNBC, which is considered to be a progressive network. Or, no,
0: uh, liberal. Or network. I wouldn't say progressive. Liberal
1: or whatever. And uh, she's a woman of color, uh, host, and uh, Joy Ann Reed, uh, which basically, um, this is uh, in a segment on Tuesday, this Tuesday, Airing uh, in her primetime show, The Readout, uh, she was discussing U.S. President Donald Trump's unwillingness to reprimand Kyle uh, uh, Rittenhouse, uh, which is that's another story which we talked about last week uh, right. uh, for his uh, um, shooting and murder of two individuals and injuring a third one with an assault rifle right. during Black Lives Matter uh, protests. And then she, be- she began... Saying this crazy thing, uh, saying uh, when leaders, let's say, in the Muslim world talk a lot of violent talk and encourage their supporters to be willing to commit violence, including on their own bodies, in order to win against whoever they decide is the enemy. We in the U.S. media describe that, that they are radicalizing these people, particularly when they are radicalizing young people. That's how we talk about the way Muslims act. Wow. When you see what Donald Trump is doing is that any different from what we describe as radicalizing people? And then she went on adding, saying, uh, you know, like, basically she's saying it's part of the culture of Muslims to, to Hey, Jamal, to. I have
0: a question for you. What's a Muslim leader? What does that mean? Is she talking about Ask sheikhs? Her. So anyway, she's been
1: called upon to apologize. She has not. She has that, not apologized. They're, they're trying to say that she was making the point about the double standard and she was not agreeing with it, which did not sound like it at all. And which, by the way, Reid has previously faced criticism. This is not the first time for remarks made on a blog which were considered derogatory towards Muslims. So that's not the right. first time. And the LGBTQ community. Reid apologized for those remarks. So people can check, those, uh, check out these remarks. They're still there available for people. So it was not the first time that she kind of uh, stuck her foot, you know, where. In her mouth. And, and, and then she, she's like, you know, acts like, oh, I didn't mean it. I don't understand what you're talking about.
0: No, no. This and, is and such... And you be- are
1: on prime time... You have to be careful about every single
0: word you say. No, I don't care. I mean, she doesn't have to be careful. What I object to, Jamal, is that this is somebody who likes to promote herself as progressive, as open-minded, as being very smart. That's part of her brand. And she could make such a blatant Islamophobic comment, refuse to apologize, and is, despite the pressure coming from, you know, really the broad spectrum of the progressive community saying, hey, what's going on? She is refusing to back down and refusing to apologize. I mean, that that speaks to some sort of character flaw, in my opinion. And her bona fides, whether or not she's a real progressive, maybe she's a pep, Jamal. Maybe she's progressive except for Palestine or a P E. I progressive except for Islam. I don't know what to call these. Well, maybe she's she is
1: she is the liberal face of Tucker Carlson.
0: Yeah. She could be. She could be the liberal face of uh of Tucker Carlson. I uh I found her com her comments were her comments were bad enough Jamal, but for me, from my standpoint, the thing that made it much worse is her trying to Weasel her way out of what was clearly an Islamophobic comment and weasel out of an apology. If you say something like that, come clean, be direct, apologize, and say, I'll do better next time. That gives you much more credibility. Otherwise, she just sounds so weak and so uh, kowtowing to some other kind of uh, influence. I'm not sure what it is. Very disturbing. It's very disturbing. We'll keep an
1: eye on this story. Uh, we're coming to an end to oh that's show. right another show time, Jamal. time flies uh, when you're having listening fun listening to Arab Talk on <laughs> KPOO, 89.5 FM San Francisco uh, go to our website arabtalkradio.com to download the uh, all our episodes are there your our podcasts and we will talk to you next week we'll see you next week